There we go. We are wonderful. There we are. Thank you for your patience and forbearance. Um, yeah. Uh, let's go to um, Isaiah 61. I'm going to do a couple of readings. Isaiah 61, which is on page uh, 710. And then Luke chapter 4, which is on page 973. So you can put a finger in Luke chapter 4 page 973, uh, and I'll flick onto that after reading from Isaiah 61. This is, um, just to, to, to tee this up, this is uh, the prophet Isaiah speaking to uh, God's people, the nation of Israel, um, in the run-up to and during their exile into Babylon. This is because of their repeated apostasy. They're, they're, they're wandering away from God. They're constantly teaming up with other nations, worshipping their gods, um, idolatry. And so God says, look, covenant is such that if, if, if you break covenant, I'm going to have to show you the consequence of your choices. So for just a generation, I mean, he's so gracious. For centuries, they abuse his name. And for just one generation... They are um, in captivity in, in Babylon. And Isaiah, in prophesying this, sort of predicting this, this is what's going to happen. Um, but he, he also prophesies through the return and the restoration of, of Israel. And this, this is a, such a beautiful, powerful chapter. Uh, a chunk of Isaiah's prophecy is talking of uh, this desolate people being restored again. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called mighty oaks, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will, receive, uh, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation 
and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the young plant come up, and the garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. And Luke chapter 4. And uh, verse 14, this is, as you can see, uh, straight after the testing of Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, So verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, (coughs) and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. And Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do hear in your hometown what, you've heard, what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, prophets are not accepted in their hometowns. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Father, thank you that your word, holy scripture, written by numerous authors, but put together, collated by your spirit, thank you that it speaks to us, even today. And so we simply ask, Holy Spirit, reveal to us your heart, your mind. Challenge us, shape us, inspire us transform us, that our lives reflect your glory, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, it's good to see you, if you're, if you're new here or visiting, I'm Tim, I'm the vicar here, and uh, we're in the middle of a little series, uh, it's, it's the sort of working title is, I'm not entirely happy with it, uh, I kind of call it God's heart for the poor, for those of us that are poor. Um, I kind of want to qualify that in all sorts of ways, but then the title will get too clunky. 
and long. But we're, we're trying, to, trying to get an, a, a fresh understanding, trying to challenge ourselves with a fresh understanding of God's heart for his people. And we've, we've begun, if just a little recap, we've begun by saying, well, actually, we need to, to, to broaden the definition and the understanding of, of poverty, not just economic or material poverty, which many sort of government indices use. Understandable, it's, it's, it's obvious in one sense. But there's the, the poverty that is um, down to uh, a, a, a sort of political um, incapability or inability. I, I don't have the, the powers to make a difference in my world or the world around me. Um, there's physical poverty, there's ill health. Um, there's spiritual poverty. I would want to argue that anyone who's not had a clear opportunity to relate to the creator who made them so that they can know themselves in relationship with him. If, if anyone's been denied that opportunity, they are spiritually poor, spiritually impoverished. And that's something we should be concerned about and, and, and act on. So all sorts of poverty, but psychological poverty, sort of our, our mental health, but by dint of circumstance and things beyond our immediate control that, that limit our, our hope, our aspiration, our kind of energy, our, our mojo, if you like. All, all of those are types of poverty that uh, I think we're called to recognize and address. So Lydia, uh, a couple of weeks ago, challenged us to, to break out of, uh, of whatever sort of narrowing mold we might be in to seek to make unlikely friends in our everyday life. That, that this gathering here, what we, we know ourselves as St. Dionysus Church, an expression of the kingdom here on earth, should be a, a, a conglomerate of unlikely friends, a, a sign that God is at work amongst us. We're not just relating to PLUs, people like us, which is the natural human sort of fleshly default. We'll go to people that we're most akin to or most attracted to as a default but that that's contrary to what the spirit of god does in and through us and last week francesca was challenging us to to become aware of our unconscious bias our unconscious bias that that's that's just where through our backgrounds through our personal experiences through our cultural context we've come to make decisions, to um, make, if you like, judgments that are skewed and biased in one way without us even being aware. It's the judgments we make and the decisions we make without even knowing it that are being influenced by our experience, our background, uh, our context and so on. Unconscious bias. And so here we are with Jesus in what seems like a sort of kind of everyday incident on a, on a day of worship. It's, he's in his hometown, Nazareth, is where he grew up. Uh, he, he would, everyone would have known him. Nazareth is, is small. It's a little, I've been out in the, in the Holy Land. It's not, it's a village. It's smaller than Fulham. Um, and uh, so he goes, as was his custom, to the synagogue on a Sunday. He stood up to read. That was the custom then. You stand to read and then you sit down to teach. And the scroll is handed to him and he <clears throat> takes this passage from Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. 
He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He's sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And his audience would have known, as I tried to set out there, that that passage in Isaiah 61, which we read just a few minutes ago, that was to God's people, Israel. In captivity, this is hope for you. you. Those of you who are blind, you can't see God at work. Those of you who are oppressed, those of you who are grieving your homeland, God is with you. God's heard the cry. He, he's going to bring salvation, rescue. This was, this was received as hope for Israel. Today, this scripture, verse 21, is fulfilled in your hearing. You see verse 22, all spoke well of him. So far, so good. Homeboy made good. Uh, he's reading scripture. The scripture that would speak to Israel's heart. Their context, of course, is Roman occupation. They, they don't feel themselves in Jesus' day to be free. They're, they're in, in one sense, although they're in the homeland geographically, they're not in the homeland sort of psychologically and spiritually. They're not fully home. There's still bondage. There's still captivity. Yes, Jesus, read that text. This is for us. All spoke well of him. But there's something going on, isn't there? Jesus kind of starts to knock them and provoke them. Jesus said in verse 23, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. In other words, Jesus said, you're going to say to me, prove yourself. Interesting, isn't it? It's just an echo. We've just had it in the passage before. Classic Lenten passage to study. The, the temptations in the wilderness. What is it that the devil says to Jesus? Oh, since you're God's son, you're quite hungry, 40 days fasting. Why don't you turn those stones into bread? Prove yourself. Jump off that high ground. God will rescue. Prove yourself. Jesus isn't having any of it. And he senses that spirit in his audience. And the people in the synagogue. I tell you, he says, a prophet is not accepted in their hometown. And then he goes to make this point. that The bit about the widows and the lepers and Elijah and Elisha. He's provoking them. He says, actually, before the exile, in, in Elijah's day, during that horrible famine for three and a half years, when the widows in the nation with no uh, patriarch to, to look after them, who, who looked after them? Who fended for the widows? Well, Elijah, the prophet, who had kind of, if you like, governing responsibility in the land, he was sent not to the is uh, the, the widows in Israel. He was sent to a Gentile widow in, in, uh, in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon, to an outsider. And for all the lepers that were in Israel in Elisha's time, before the exile, Elisha went to Naaman, a Syrian, an outsider, a Gentile. In, in other words, I wouldn't need to explain this to the audience in Jesus' day, but just so we're all clear, 
what Jesus is saying is that God's heart was not just for Israel, even before the exile, even when you think you were the favored people, it was Israel and no one else. And actually through the prophets, Elijah and Elisha, God is saying, actually my heart is for all people. Note their reaction. That this is the people who were all, uh, what does it say in verse 22? All spoke well of him. Verse 28, only six verses later. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. And they drummed him out of the city and want to throw him off a, uh, a precipice. What's going on? I think he's provoked, if I may use Francesca's phrase, or the kind of corporate phrase the, of the moment, he's provoked in them unconscious bias. He's uncovered unconscious bias in them. See, they think that the God of heaven and earth is their God exclusively. That these words of prophecy from Isaiah apply only to them. Some commentators say that in, uh, if you just look in verse, uh, da, 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 da. yeah, verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. And some say, well, that is just saying, oh, isn't he a good speaker? You know, the carpenter's son, and he can give a talk. Wow. But others, other commentators argue that the amazement, all spoke well of him and were amazed at, in a sense, the sense is, were amazed at God's grace. Because they're beginning to get it. They're beginning to hear what Jesus is saying. Oh, what, you're saying that, that, that actually God's grace is not just for Israel, but for all people. For the widows and the leprous. In other words, the outcasts, those on the margins of society in Gentile lands. But the, the overall impact is the people were stirred to fury. Jesus has, has taken the blinkers off. He's revealed to them their unconscious bias. We thought these things were just for us. And Jesus is saying, it's not that they're not for you, but they're for you and everyone. The captivity that God wants to release people from is not just Israel's captivity from Babylon. It is the whole of the human race's captivity and bondage from sin and its consequences. And today, Jesus says, this is fulfilled in your hearing. I, Jesus, I am the one who come to liberate every single man, woman, and child from the world that is in bondage to decay in order that you might be restored in the glorious image of God himself. God's grace is extended to all people. And so we as the church, if you like, as the, the new Israel, we receive these words of Isaiah through the prism of Jesus himself. We receive them, whether we are of Jewish descent, which I would imagine is a minority of anyone here at all, or as the vast majority of us here, myself included, Gentile origin. But we're grafted in, Romans 8 through to 11. We're grafted into the promises of God. We're included in the covenant. We become part of this great promise. 
to be clothed in his righteousness, to be recipients of his everlasting blessing. This is us. And as followers of Jesus Christ, as members of his church, there's just the kingdom on earth. We are the ones who are to see as Jesus sees and to love as Jesus loves. All people for all time. Unlikely friends, not just PLUs. Someone sent me on social media, um, uh, you know, you get those sort of inspirational quotes or, or kind of, you know, um, yeah, just sayings and proverbs and that kind of thing. And someone copied me into this so I could, so I could see it. I guess they knew we were preaching on this. And uh, this, this slide said this, most of us spend our entire lives avoiding the people Jesus spent his whole life engaging Most of us spend our entire lives avoiding the people Jesus spent his whole life engaging. And as the church, we are Jesus followers. We we, we seek, as Francesca said last week, or reminded us from Romans 12, we're seeking no longer to be conformed to the pattern of this world, to go with what everyone else goes with, to go with what our gut says, to go with the people that we instinctively kind of are drawn to, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's a deliberate conscious choice. To choose an unlikely friend. It's interesting just to reflect on this teaching in Jesus uh, and then I just want to apply, try and apply this to us here as a church. But um, the, when Luke says, he records that Jesus um, um, all spoke well of him. They were amazed. Uh, uh, verse 15, he was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. And we're told by Luke, I mean, that he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Jesus went from his baptism, chapter 4, verse 1, full of the Holy Spirit. He's obviously, we would use the phrase, he's on fire, he's inspired, like a man possessed. You know, they're, wow, isn't this, isn't this Joseph's son? Wow. So inspired. Think of times when you have been inspired, kind of lifted out of yourself by something or someone else. Um, might be... Uh, musical performance, virtuoso performance, someone just just taking you out of yourself, you're kind of lifting the soul. For, for me, if I'm honest, probably more a sporting event, it might be a sort of sublime Federer cross-court backhand winner, uh, an impossible reach, he turns a get into a winner, you know, just, and you go, wow, it takes your breath away, how did he do that? The thing is, whether it's the musical performer or whether it's the sportsman or woman, and we say, wow, that's so inspiring. Do you know what the reality is? It's, it's just that momentary, in that moment, it's the culmination of years and years and years and years of relentless practice. 
moments that we take in others' lives as inspiration is just hard graft and slog. The unseen stuff, the relentless stuff, the committed, the faithful stuff. Just, just turn back, if you're in Luke chapter 4, just turn back the page to Luke 2, 52. We have, we have so little, we, we don't have any biography of Jesus from uh, a, sort of a boy, I guess, about, it was 12 years old, according to this story here, until the start of his ministry, around about 30. So for 18 years of his life, we know nothing except verse 52. And as Jesus grew up, he increased in wisdom and in favor with God and people. As Jesus grew up, he increased in wisdom and in favor with God and people. In other words, for 18 years of his life, he prayed, he watched, he listened, he engaged, he discerned, he interpreted, and he read, and he prayed, and he watched, and he discerned, and he listened. And he just, for 18 years, he was just Joseph's son, quite good at carpentry, apparently. And then he stands up after his baptism and the affirmation of his father, my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the crowds go, wow, amazing, so inspiring. Well, yes, full of the spirit, he was really inspiring, but it was just prayer, preparation, diligence, faithfulness. It was just actually him being consistent to who he had become. That church is the call for us. In order to be inspirational, in the world around us, in order to, to make a difference in the lives of other people. What one of our priorities is for this year is to engage positively with our local community, to make a difference as we introduce and share Jesus with others it, in a way that is, is radical and, and, and inspirational. But in order to do that, it's, it's the main and the plane of prayer, reading, discerning, listening, waiting, watching. So as church, we gather here to encourage one another. We gather in our small groups to encourage and inspire and challenge one another in order that we go out and make a difference. We become that Isaiah prophecy, not just for our own, but for everyone, the unlikely ones, the widows and the leprous. in order that we find ourselves so closely connected to God's heart as expressed here in Jesus. That, that's our, our hope. That's in a sense, what the, the vision behind this teaching series is to stir up this, this vision and this understanding of what to fulfill this vision it will take. To deliberately seek the other, the least, the last, the lonely, those who are not like us, to, to break through the comfort zone in order to reach those who don't yet know the love of God. It provoked the people in the synagogue. It, it may be provoking you. It's, it's provoking me. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I, I'm finding that some of the preparation and thinking through of this uncomfortable. I, I realize just how much there is to do, how little headway we, we I, uh, seem to have made. 
Let me give you a couple of things that I'm kind of wrestling with. Can I share them with you? And, and again, I haven't got a, there's not a sort of definitive answer. I'm just, you know, inviting you into the, into the wrestle, into the provocation. We've had two, in the last six months, we've had two funerals here. Um, I've done, done more funerals than that, but two big funerals here that packed the place out. We've got 275 chairs. We put them all out. Every single one of them was full, and there were 100, 150 people standing around the back. One was for, um, uh, and you, you, for those of you here, you'll probably remember, tragically, a 19-year-old lad called Omid Saidi, uh, who was stabbed to death just outside the tube about six months ago. Uh, you might have seen him sort of, there was a shrine of flowers and candles and so on for quite some time by the entrance to the tube. And uh, we held this funeral here. And I reckon there were about 400 people from the local community who packed into this place. And then just two weeks ago, um, actually a friend of Joe and I's, uh, he was, um, his son was an exact contemporary of our son at school. And so we stood on the rugby pitch together, uh, cheering our guys on playing rugby, uh, just dropped dead. Uh, and we had his funeral here. And he was a really larger than life, flamboyant, gregarious guy with an extraordinary dress sense, uh, which was marked by um, interesting fashion sense amongst the mourners, out of respect and, 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 and honor for this warm-hearted guy. But I, what I hadn't realized is how uh, involved they had been in the Hurlingham Club, and he and his wife. And so the reception or wake after the funeral, we all made it down. And again, packed, I would say 400 plus here. And we all made it down to the Hurlian Club. And it was only afterwards that I discovered that the Hurlian Club had laid on a, a fantastic spread, as you might imagine, all free of charge. So highly was he thought. Um, two funerals, many similarities. Um, uh, two communities shocked kind of absolutely slammed in, you know, dead in their tracks in life. A 19-year-old, life ripped from him, uh, and a guy in his 50s, but I mean, that's still far too young, in my opinion, uh, drops dead. Uh, some styles very similar. Uh, Omid, there were photos of him everywhere around the stage. And uh, John's family ha had a, got a canvas, a huge, great canvas. Uh, printed up, and that was here. So similar kind of icons to, to try and help the passage of shock and grief. And yet I reflect that two completely different congregations, but drawn from the same area. Actually, I, deep down there's something in me that I love that challenge. That there's a whole load of people uh, networking around Omid's life. And there's a whole load of people networking around John's life. And it would appear, and I stress that because I'm only going on appearance, but it would appear that never the twain shall meet. And I think, how do we get peoples like that to, to know and to recognize one another? And, and my wrestle is this, that of all the things that they did not have in common and do not have in common, They have these two things in common, in my view. One is, they gathered in this building. They all know how to get into here, which is no mean feat. We've been trying our best to make it obvious how to get into this church, hence living space, one day, one day. But they made it into this building. 
They have that in common. Here's the second thing they have in common. Omid, who knows, he was, um, he was actually really, I, I gather, I didn't know him tragically, he was really working hard to make his life come good, but he'd been excluded from school and he was maybe mixing one or two of the wrong types. Um, uh, I saw some interesting things being smoked um, around the fringes of the gathering that day. And John and his uh, people group, and both of them are poor. Both of them are poor. Both of them are, are, are captives, as, are, as am I. And, and as would I be without hope were it not for Jesus Christ? It might be that they're captive to a drug addiction, or it might be that they're actually in slavery to a job and a lifestyle that keeps them on the treadmill. They're working impossible hours, their soul being drained from their very body, so they hardly have time for their marriage, let alone their children. Surrounded by every conceivable material comfort, and yet they are grieving, captive. What is the point of all this? It looks very different. And they are very different. And yet, in a sense, God's heart for them and for them is exactly the same. He, he longs for them. That they might know that they are, in Isaiah's words, oaks of righteousness. That they're a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Someone connected to Omid, someone connected to John. How are we, as a church community, who, who know ourselves outside of Christ to be poor and in need, and in Christ, who know ourselves, Ephesians 1 following, to have all the riches of heaven poured on us? It's ours through Christ. We're heirs. Not for ourselves, the Israel mistake, but so that we can pass it on and play it forward. How, how can we connect with Omids and Johns so that they might know that they're oaks of righteousness in God's eyes? Not a little sapling, oaks, mighty oaks. You try to chop down an oak tree, takes your time. Solid, rooted. A planting for the Lord, a display of his splendor, lives that look good, that radiate, that ooze health and wholeness and shalom, peace and joy and the fruit of the spirit. This is how God sees people that, through the prophet Isaiah. This is how I see you, he says. Not just you, Israel, you, Israel, and everyone. It's great. Georgia and uh, the youth team. Fantastic. Ten youth today. I know it'll up and down and bottom lip, but we're, we're seeing a work beginning to, to, to take root and grow. So exciting. We're beginning to get more and more meaningful contact with our local schools. We have te uh, seven schools within a 10 minute walk of us here. And they are, what, and again, what I love about ministering in this local area, we're not short of challenge. You've got every kind of um, social spectrum coming through the doors of the church. We've got two local primary schools where the combined number 
of pupils who qualify for, it's premium plus, it's the old free school dinner, where in order to qualify for a free school dinner, the, uh, the, the combined ha household income is less than 15,000 pounds. If you, so it's less than 15,000 pounds collectively coming in the house, you qualify for free school dinner. Over 300 children in the two primary schools in our parish so qualify on one end, one measure. It's only one measure. In other ways, they are rich. And then there's a school um, uh, that we have connection with. And two or three years ago, um, they got together, they're part of a foundation, and they, with other, some other schools, but together, these um, junior schools, they put on a concert in the Royal Albert Hall. They booked out the Royal Albert Hall and put on a concert. Like a primary school equivalent. I mean, what, we talk about aspirational poverty. I mean, what kind of aspiration says, you know what, we're going to take a bunch of kids, like 10-year-olds, it's like herding cats. You're going to take a whole bunch of them and we're going to put on a concert, not in, the, not in our school assembly hall. No, we're going to go to the Royal Albert Hall. We're going to sell tickets, fill it, and then perform. You guys don't seem to be too phased by that. I'm thinking, how on earth? Did they even conceive that that was a good idea? Not only did they conceive it, they pulled it off. They were kind enough to invite me. I, I went along. It was unbelievable. Those two schools are within, those three schools, that one and then the other two, are within 10 minutes walk of us here. We, it's, it's, like, it's like, in a sense, they're poles apart. But we've got traction with both of them. And I could, I could say more, and I'm, I'm running out of time, so in terms of what, what actually is through, you know, um, parenting courses, and uh, there's just, you know, just the connection. Just actually, I've been here um, 12 and a half years now, and we have been, you know, various of us, we've been talking about this and praying about this for some time now. It's the praying, the preparing. Nothing seems to be happening. Nothing seems to be happening. But maybe, maybe through this little season of preaching and teaching, maybe there's an inspired moment. When all the prayer and the preparation and the waiting and the watching and the connecting and the building up contacts, maybe there's some kind of breakthrough. Maybe there's, there's something that happens. We meet a man or a woman of peace, a, a conduit, someone in the school or in the community who is able to broker a relationship so that we could begin to see an, an Omid and a John or a this school and a that school coming together in a common understanding that God loves them. That God sees them in their respective and relative poverty. Because you can have all the money in the world and be desperately lonely. You can have all the possessions in the world and no hope. And it will ruin your soul. Poverty. In whatever way, shape, form. And we... Poor as we may be, we, we know and we have a God who sees them in their poverty and longs to lift them out. That's, that's if you like, the vision behind this series, if you like. The, the year of the Lord, it's not like 365 days, the year, it's like a, a kairos, it's a time, a moment, a season. The year of the Lord, the season of the Lord, the now of the Lord. And 
I and others of us, we're, we're praying, we're chatting, we're, we're, we're just pushing and prodding to see, is, is this the now of the Lord for us as a church in our community to make a meaningful difference in people's lives? It, it might be through an, uh, you know, established partnerships with, with um, the guys at Fulham Good Neighbour. Their website, by the way, their website says, oh, we don't need any more volunteers. And I've gone to the trustees and said, why does your website say that? Because your newsletter comes out and says, please help here, please help here, please help here, please help here. And so it's just a little mismatch there. So ignore the website. If you want to subscribe to the newsletter, uh, you'll see all sorts of ways. They want DIY stuff. They want simple things like, do you, can you just go and pick up a prescription for Mrs. So-and-so who lives in Harbour? I mean, it's just a little divert on your way home. Pick up a prescription, take it in. You will make her day. She's housebound. She can't get out. It might be just helping her do a clear up a front garden or a little bit of DIY. Or just being with someone who's lonely. Do, do you know at the creme, sorry, I'm riffing slightly, but at, at the crematorium, do you know you'd be, you might be shocked to hear how many funerals a day have no one in attendance? A hearse pulls up, the coffin's taken out, it's loaded on the catapult, and there's no one there. And the creme staff just say a little prayer and press the button. That goes on every day in our city. Loneliness, endemic. We could just, you just hold a hand. You'd be a listening ear. 15, 20 minutes, half an hour of your time. Can we, can we make unlikely friends in that way and make a difference? Fulham, good neighbor. It might be through the night shelter and that wonderful story coming in to tell us off. No, he's not. He's actually convicted. He wants to get involved. We've got more volunteers than we know what to do with the night shelter, to be honest, which is why I'd love to get the kitchen poured in here because then we'll have the night shelter in here. Yeah, church actually do know. How many can we sleep in here? More than we can in the hall. And we just bless more and more people. It might be through the debt advice. Just meeting people, they're, they're unlikely friends. They may not be people you would ordinarily have met. But it's the mark of the church when it isn't just about us. Oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, a display of his splendor. It'll mean we may need to rethink what is normal church for us. Just as Israel had to rethink these promises of God that they traditionally held to be just for them. Got to reshape their mind, not be conformed, but transformed. Maybe, and I'm not suggesting that we change anything on a Sunday necessarily. Maybe we, you know, we carry on doing Sunday. But actually the highlight of church is midweek. That we do church on a Thursday um, after work or during the day. For just people who are around, are lonely, needy. Not great long sermons. But we, we do kind of messy church for adults. Uh, I, I, I'm, I don't know. Whatever the Lord leads. But are we prepared to kind of think, pray, explore? I'd love, I'd love to encourage you to, to, to do this in your, in your groups. Or maybe it's joining Angus's group and uh, think, okay, what, what is... What does justice actually look like in our society today? God's heart for what's right, good, full of mercy, what's fair. And how can I be an agent of that? Prayer and preparation so that we can be inspired to make a difference. God's heart for those of us who are poor.